TD in the entire Big Ten Conference in my short amount of time. Um, it's been uh, first class, and all the other coaches have been amazing. I want to thank Trev Alberts, who's here with us. I appreciate uh, him giving me this job and giving me this great opportunity. And uh, I want to make sure I thank everyone back home, everyone in Nebraska. Um, it's been an amazing six months, and I'm uh, excited to get to the season. It's Coach Matt Rule. Coffee and cream in the morning on Hale Varsity Radio, powered by Currency. Robbie Lula, Andrew Rogers, happy to have you with us. We'll make sure to get to your thoughts on YouTube, your questions during the sports cleanup at 9.30. We have a couple that have uh, trickled in. We will dive deeper into the MLB trade deadline and more on this Husker football team. But before we do any of that, I'd like to welcome in Bill Bender, national writer for Sporting News, at BillBender92 on Twitter. He was at Big Ten Media Days. Bill, good morning. Hey, good morning. Thanks for having me on. Hey, thanks for taking the time. I'll start with this because we haven't gotten it we haven't gotten to it yet, and I'm not sure how much Ravi and um, his uh, platoon of co-hosts uh, covered last week, but since the end of last season, it seems like Michigan is the school that's always in the news for the wrong reasons. And I don't know if that's just become it comes with the territory, but first it was Matt Weiss, and now it's Harbaugh misleading the NCAA. With all the baggage, you'd think suspending more than four games should be the necessary punishment, yet it was an agreed-upon punishment, which is, is weird to me because at what status do you have to be to agree upon a suspension with your governing power? I mean, that just seems hysterically unbelievable to me. This whole case seems unbelievable, honestly. <laughs> I, I don't even – I don't think it should be suspended at all. Uh, but I, I get why he is. If he misled the investigators, I understand all that. I just the the offense versus the state of college football now, and it, it's just oh, as I wrote. I mean, I I don't think this suspension is going to have the intended consequences for the NCAA. I don't think it's going to have the intended consequences for Michigan because they're not going to lose one of those first four games. But fail to win the Big Ten and fail to go to the college football playoff and all those things, then this is going to be looked at as, like you said, an off-season full of distractions that stalled the momentum the program has built. Bill, let's Bill, let's stay with uh... You got me? Oh, there we go. There he is. There Bill, he is. let's stay with Hi. Michigan. <laughs> Sorry about that. You kind of heard him as an, as an echo there yeah. for, for a hot uh, sec. Huh? Let's stay with Michigan for a second here, but move on to the field. Um, it seems like this is a really big year in the Michigan-Ohio State rivalry in terms of jockeying for Big Ten supremacy. Is it in your view that if Michigan wins against Ohio State again, that maybe we they will have kind of fully supplanted the Buckeyes at as the king of the Big Ten? Um, I mean, it, I, 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 as you guys know, I'm in Central Ohio, and I would say the mood here is uncomfortable for the first time in this century really where Michigan has a chance to beat them three times for the first time since 95 to 97 mm -hmm. and Michigan has a chance to you know just the, the talk around Ryan Day here I mean he's 45 and 6 there's <laughs> right. not too many coaches that were 45 and 6 but losses are to Michigan the last two years I, I think I would draw and I with 
I'd have to go back and look. But I imagine it was like that at Nebraska once upon a time when if Tom Osborne had won 40 games but only had the two losses to Oklahoma. Sure, yeah, yeah. In comparison. Bill, as um, as you were kind of listening to all of those coaches at the podium, I mean, something that kind of stuck out to me, or at least I kind of – what I do is I like to just think, okay, who impressed me the most, right? And, um, you know, believe it or not, I think Coach Braun impressed me a lot by being able to stand up there and, um, you know, with every allegation that's on the line and the just – uh, let's let's call it a a havoc of a role that he had to step into over at Northwestern. How much did he impress you just in regards to handling that situation going on at Northwestern? I mean, it, it can't be easy. I mean, he obviously had a long opening statement, long, slow, deliberate, because there's so many, so many questions you can answer. So, yeah, I mean, given the, the deck, of cards or hand or however you want to phrase it that he was given, yeah, he handled it more than well. And we'll we'll see where that goes from here. I think it's going to be a very rough year at Northwestern. I will be surprised if any of those coaches are still on staff next year. Hmm. And, you know, the athletic department's been shaken up. It's gone to other sports. And it's probably not going to be a pretty year on the field. So all of those things lead me to believe that yeah, he did what he can. He's from North Dakota State. That's a winning program with a winning culture, and we'll see how he does. But, yeah, not an easy job for him. And apparently, you know, like his wife's pregnant too. That can't, it just can't be easy. Bill, uh, let's talk about the Big Ten West here for a minute. Um, it seems, I mean, outside of Northwestern, pretty wide open in the last year of the division. How are you – sizing things up i mean iowa seems like the safe choice wisconsin kind of seems like the sexy choice illinois maybe the sleeper choice how are you personally looking at this division or are you just like hey there's four teams that could win this thing i don't know who's going to take it yeah i mean it's definitely i tend to lean toward wisconsin and iowa first i mean because they're the ones that are typically there i do think wisconsin with luke fickle it has a ton of talent. I don't know what the transformation of the offense is going to look like, mm-hmm. but I do know they're going to be pretty good. Um, I, like you said, though, after that, Iowa, Nebraska, Minnesota. Minnesota's an interesting sleeper. Uh, Illinois and Purdue played for the division last year. So any one of those six teams, that's how wide open this division is. Bill, after how last season panned out, Who's your way-too-early Big Ten success story this year? It doesn't have to be a a jump from the bottom. I'll even allow a, well, they weren't in the college football playoff last year, and if they are this year, that counts too uh, toward the type of progress I'm looking for with this question. Well, I mean, if Minnesota wins the division, but for them, the key is 3-3 against Wisconsin under Fleck, haven't beat Iowa yet. So for Minnesota to have a successful season, I think it's, they've got to get to Indy. They've yet to do that. Um, I think it, it could be a conference-wide at large uh, kind of prediction. At Sporting News, we have Ohio State, Michigan going back to the playoff, and we also have USC in the playoff, which, of course, they're joining the Big Ten. So you can imagine the stories if the Big Ten has – 
quote-unquote three teams in the playoffs, all of them taking aim probably at who I think is going to be Georgia at the end of the road. Bill, uh, I want to stay with the college football playoff here for a second. Are there some teams, I know I've seen a few previews that are high on, uh, like Florida State, for example, with Jordan Travis returning, um, got some uh, returners on defense like Jared Verse as well, who could have gone in the first round this year uh, as a as a rusher uh, or as a, as a defensive pass rusher. Is there a team that you look at as, you know, obviously not a TCU necessarily because that really came off the radar, but somebody outside of Georgia, Alabama, Ohio State. I mean, you mentioned USC. Anybody else that you're looking at as, yeah, maybe they've got a kind of a dark horse shot at the college football playoff. Sure. I mean, uh, that's the question you get all year. So TCU created content for all of us, I think. Yeah, exactly. We're going – I get that, that question quite a bit. So – but, I mean, define that, like, in terms of, okay, a couple teams that could make the playoff for the first time, Penn State and Tennessee, but they're not – if either one of those schools did it, we wouldn't be like, oh, my gosh, that was sure. a crazy run. I think Oregon State's a very interesting team. Oh. It's off the radar that won okay. 10 games last year. And a team that would fit this, like, kind of TCU question would be Texas A&M. If mm. they went from 5-7, and seven, the Bobby Petrino marriage is perfect – Sure. Their five-star quarterback balls out, and Jimbo goes to the playoffs. But I still don't think that qualifies as, you know what I mean. Like, Texas sure. and a little bit more well-known than TCU was last year. Sure. Well, and they've got, you know, Texas A&M has got the talent. They were disappointing to finish the way they did last year, whereas I don't know that you look at TCU last year and say, yeah, that's def- they've got playoff-level talent. You probably could say that about A&M. Yeah, and that's the thing. When you have that kind of recruiting that they've had and guys like Evan Stewart and Ruben Owens that have five-star tags, they, they could be that team. Uh, another school I'm very interested in, I don't know if it's – I'm not saying playoff, but just to watch and see what, what the flip is, I really like the Jeff Bromheyer at Louisville, mm-hmm. a former player there. Got a lot of guys in the transfer portal. Kind of the same, as, same deal as TCU where he's bringing in all these guys. And Sonny fit at TCU. Mm-hmm. Fit always matters to me. And Brom obviously fits at Louisville. They could flip that in a hurry. So as you, as you look at fit, um, take it from the local example here. How much of a fit do you think Matt Rule is for this Husker football team? Well, I, you know, I, you want to talk about guys that I was impressed with with Big Ten Media Day. Matt Rule would be at the top of my list. Uh, and I'm not just saying that because I'm on Hale Varsity, um, you know, the, trying to get a couple of Twitter followers. No, um, he, <laughs> That's Bill Bender 92. He, uh, right, right. No, he was very impressive because I think it's just, as he said, a self-described football junkie, exactly what Nebraska needs in terms of a little bit of a makeover type facelift. And, man, he's the guy for it. He did it at Temple. He did it at Baylor. And as he emphasizes, not – the same thing at Nebraska, but just his passion, the way he came across, and, and I had heard from some, uh, I talked to some Nebraska writers while I was there, I heard this was going to be the case, where he was going to be a guy that wins you over at the podium. I'm sure you guys have talked about it. Um, the difference will be, can they win it on the field in these one score games that have haunted them for the past couple years? Bill, uh, is there anyone else? I mean, there's a couple other new coaches in the league as well, Ryan Walters, Luke Fickle. Is there any other guys, whether new or old, that you were 
I don't know if surprised by, but that kind of won you over in the press conference besides Rule. I mean, Luke Fickle's the other one. that, And I've been around Luke for a while, and I know his way. And just very impressed with how some of us were surprised that he took that job. Mm-hmm. But not in a bad way, just, okay, that's the job he wanted. And, you know, Wisconsin obviously has the resources to be a playoff team and a national championship caliber team. And he promised reporters that, yeah, it's going to look different than, than what you're used to. But this is a guy that took Cincinnati to the playoffs, developed the NFL talent the way he did there. Um, and if, if Matt Rule gets Nebraska going and Luke Fickle gets Wisconsin going, then you get USC coming in, Penn State, Michigan, Ohio State. That's seven legitimate, like, blue blood programs at once. And, and the prospects of that, it's going to make the Big Ten awesome here in a year. Bill, as we talk about new coaches, I think of new quarterbacks as well. Lots of them in the Big Ten, but I kind of want to take a big like a, a jump to the college football landscape here. Which newly led quarterback team that has normally showcased themselves in the college football playoff, or at least have gotten close, um, has the best chance of not returning because of their new signal caller? Would you think it's Georgia? Alabama or Ohio State? Yeah, I mean, you know, Ohio State should be fine with with McCord. It's not going to change the way that they do things. Um, Georgia, did you say Alabama in there? I did. I said Alabama and Georgia. Okay, so of the three, I mean, Alabama is the biggest question mark, which normally they're the least questioned (laughs) team because we need to see what Buckner can do, what – you know, potentially Jalen Milrow can do, although we've seen him in a limited sample. I don't think Georgia or Ohio State is going to change much. Now, For and granted, Bennett and Stroud are NFL quarterbacks, and they played well, but I think within the system and what they try to do and the talent around them, Carson Beck and Kyle McCord will be fine. Um, Alabama's the one that people are off of a little bit, and the fact that, like, Buckner – didn't win the Notre Dame job and he's going to Alabama and he might start. I mean, these are things I didn't think I was going to say. Bill, I'm, I'm curious as we, you know, kind of weaving in a couple of the things that have caught my attention while we've been talking here, both new coaches and you mentioned guys like Jeff Brom who are taking giant transfer roster changes. Obviously no one did that more than Deion Sanders <laughs> at Colorado that's somebody that Nebraska has on their schedule, so it's of particular interest around here. But when, how hard is it to figure out? I mean, the Colorado thing is sort of unprecedented in terms of just volume. How do you look at a team like that and, and start to figure out any idea of what you think they're going to be? Well, uh, you know, Colorado people are going to – what people don't do on social media and they're going to have to do is be patient. I mean, they won one game. Yeah. But if you look – Colorado's won off the field despite all the transfers. There's no question. Um, they were on ESPN for their spring game. They are going to the Big 12, um, which they should have never left. I mean, that's another topic for another radio hit with you guys. But um, <laughs> they they definitely have increased visibility, and it's going to take time. I mean, if Dion is there for five to six years, I think they'll be competitive. I, I But people's visions of this are everything from – total uh, dumpster fire to 
the the reincarnation of the Miami Hurricanes in the 1980s, and I'm like, neither one of those things is probably going to happen. Um, and they'll probably just get better. And if to me, if if Colorado went four and eight this year, as hard as this sounds, that would be a win for me, and, and a win for them. That they, they mean they got better and they recruit better and they don't lose as many guys in the transfer portal and. That would probably mean Shadir Sanders was pretty good. We're chatting with Bill Bender, national writer for Sporting News, at BillBender92 on Twitter. Bill, we've seen how today's NFL hasn't been too nice to running backs. You know, Michelle retiring over the weekend, Jonathan Taylor, um, you know, requesting a trade, conferences about, you know, the pay of running backs. How do you think that impacts college football runners thoughts to possibly return to college knowing they can get good NIL money over going into what now looks like a short-lived league for veteran running backs? Yeah, Blake Corum was asked about that last week, and Blake's obviously you know, a star running back college level. Um, he's doing well with NIL. I mean, he was dressed nicely. Uh, <laughs> you know, blue, blue velvet crushed crushed velvet suit i don't have one of those um he (laughs) he definitely but yes yes there's still time but um opinion on it but he said you know i'm not in the nfl yet but yeah it's frustrating for saquon barkley and this jonathan taylor story is taking some very bizarre turns so i mean one of the solutions i've always had and they're they're a little off the wall one i think college running backs i always said like Maybe you let them enter the NFL draft a year early, but that would create all kinds of concerns. I was, I've also thought that, and it's not as much a problem now, that, that college running backs should be on a pitch count. Like they shouldn't have more than 350 carries a year, maybe even 300. Mm. Um, and I also think that they should be able to get paid sooner because of their clock in the NFL. But mm-hmm. none of these things are going to happen. So it, it's definitely. I see both sides of the argument, though, because if I was an NFL GM, I would do it exactly how they're doing it. Yeah, that's an interesting point because, I mean, obviously with a hard salary cap, there's just there's not a lot of wiggle room if you value other positions more highly. I guess do you see long-term, and this is more of an existential question, I guess, for running backs, but do you see maybe long-term that we see a um, – kind of a deterioration at the position because the the guys that would be playing it want to play a position that's more lucrative to them whether it's you know on the defensive side of the ball maybe moving positions on offense it do you see that as a possibility yes long term that just we don't get the same level of quality running backs because the the really good guys don't want to be in that spot well maybe but i mean the running backs still touch the football and running backs still are, are a huge part of the college game. And again, uh, you know, BJ, BJ Robinson, first round pick. And that was good. That was, I think he was a first round pick. Yeah, he was. Um, so that was good for the position that it, it's still an important position. I do think they need to explore ways to allow them to get paid more early and, and NIL helps. Like I said, Blake Corum, you, you'd think in theory, he didn't have to come back. But coming off that major knee injury and the, some of the things he's doing, um, and it also helps with a guy like Blake Corum that he's going to share with Donovan Edwards this season. It's always good to have multiple running backs in the backfield, especially at the college level. Bill, we appreciate your time this morning. Thanks for uh, hopping on the show. We will talk to you again soon. Hey, no problem. Thanks for having me on. Take care. Yeah.
You too, Bill Bender, national writer for Sporting News at Bill Bender ninety two on Twitter. Lots of interesting stuff there. Kind of bounced around all over the place. Yeah, but um, I, I do wonder about the running back spot in college. Because that, that thing has always intrigued me because I've I've known for a while that this is the way the league was trending. It used to be, yes, yeah. hey, they can last a long time, yeah. and now it's turned into, well, no, they they really can't. And teams would rather take a young kid, whether he's in the fourth or fifth round of a draft, mm-hmm. rather than say, hey, and, unless he's – like a Christian McCaffrey yeah. out there who can do – he's like a multi-purpose back. Right. You can um, line Christian McCaffrey up in the slot. You right. can line Christian McCaffrey up anywhere. You look at Saquon Barkley, who was taken second in that draft, yeah. and you are thinking, what? there's no reason this guy shouldn't be signed. Now, his injury history and you know sure. things uh, come into question there. Well, and where it comes down but to – But he's healthy right now, yeah. and, and that's the issue. So what it comes down to, right, is they look at the economics and they say and, – and Damon and I actually talked about this on the podcast last week – um, that this isn't really a new phenomenon. It's new in that the high-end guys aren't getting paid, but if you weren't a high-end guy for a really long time, the middle-class running backs haven't got paid for 25 years. Mm-hmm. Now, the difference is the high-end guys aren't getting paid now, but you look at it and you go, okay, if I can get 70% of the production, which you can probably get from most, like if you find the right guy um, in the draft, you can get 70% of production of most guys, mm-hmm. right? and you're paying for 10% of the salary, right. then economically that makes sense to you, right? Because then you can put that 90% towards a quarterback or a defensive end or a cover corner or some position, uh, you know, a, 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 a wide out, a, a number one wide out, a position where you can't replace 70% of their production with 10% of the cost. Mm-hmm. It's unfortunate for running backs, but we've seen the same thing with safeties. We've seen the same thing with non-pass rushing linebackers, they're devalued in the same way. We focus on running backs because they get the ball. This isn't unique to running backs. It's unique to positions where you can find value or you can find production at value costs. Well, and it doesn't help, too, that some of the best running backs in the game haven't had the best last couple of seasons either. Sure. And, and There's Daniel very little on, longevity Dan, in the position anymore. Daniel on YouTube sparks that in my brain because he mentioned how Le'Veon Bell held out um, and got less money than he could have if he would have stayed with the Steelers. Same thing can be said for Melvin Gordon with the Chargers before well, and look he at the, held out. Look at the guys that did get paid, right? Look at um, Zeke Elliott mm-hmm. got well, paid, fell off a cliff. And that's Todd Gurley got paid, fell off a cliff. And like, now yeah, there's w- injuries and other stuff there. TG was hurt more than anything, right. but he had a fantastic four or five year stint. But you look at that and you go, okay, why would I pay for this when it's a better than it's a better than not chance that they won't get the production out of them once I start paying them. Were Zeke Gurley, Bell, DJ worth what they got paid? Well, and it seems yeah. it seems like running backs get no get injured more than wide receivers. Yeah, because they get hammered all. I get hammered on every play. Tight ends all that. But I will say this, that you still need a top guy in that room. You sure. Can't, you can't survive on a six-round pick. It's just not easy. I mean, tell that to Bill Belichick. You, don't, you just don't find that. You really just <laughs> don't mean, find that. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm not a huge fan of Ramondre Stevenson. He doesn't, he doesn't really get me excited about the running back room. No, but for tons of years, they went by on mm-hmm. discount. Sure. Yeah. Uh, we'll take a break. Sports Cleanup next.